Diversity leads to stability. If I've only got one source of leads and they pass a do, everybody gets on the do not call list, I'm screwed. All right. This is Seth Green for the Sharkpreneur Show. And I got him on this show today. And I'm really excited about it because he is a co-owner of the Sharkpreneur with Kevin Harrington. And we're going to talk about different aspects of his business, entrepreneurship, marketing, and how we can tie all that in for a real estate investor because he has some tips for that. So welcome to the show, Kevin. I really appreciate you being on here. I mean, uh, thanks, Seth. Yes, <laughs> Seth. I was going to say. I know we look alike, you know, but <laughs> he's a little older than I am. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'm great. I'm, I'm really excited to be here and share with your audience. Awesome. I appreciate that. And so you started you you started your entrepreneur life pretty early into college. I mean, you, your story is amazing. I, I recommend everybody checking that out and uh, checking out his story about how he started college and started got his failure in the playwright industry, right? In college. Musical theater, correct. Musical theater. And then, so you met Dan Kennedy uh, and, and Dave D and that kind of stirred you into your, into your business. So how did you even get in contact with David D? Because I think that networking is so important for real estate investors and you have a lot of advice about networking. What can you share about networking and how you even get in contact with these top players in the industry? Sure. All right. So Dave D, I was 21, maybe. Uh, this is like 20 years ago. So more than that. So I was a magician part-time as a hobby. Did a couple of kids' birthday parties here and there to make a few extra bucks to buy tricks. And then I was a struggling financial advisor at the time. I was a college planner, helping families cut the cost of college in half, not saving money for college, saving money on college. And uh, my branch manager at the Fortune 500 financial firm I worked for had given me a book where he told me all my clients were going to come from my whole career. And I said, this is awesome. I'm young. I'm dumb. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to buy a Ferrari. Give me the book. And it was the phone book. And some of your people aren't old enough to remember what a phone book is, but it was literally the yellow pages. And he said, they're all in there. Go get them. So I didn't know any better. I was making 300 cold calls a day, interrupting strangers, asking for money, getting hung up on. And I was not happy. And I was reading a magic trade journal. Magicians have trade journals, just like everybody else. And there was a full page ad for a marketing course by Dave D. I didn't know who he was, but the headline got my attention. It said, make a full-time, make an executive level income working part-time as a magician. So I borrowed the money from my parents because I didn't, I was cold calling. I had no money to buy the course. I applied what I learned to my magic business. I became the busiest, most expensive magician in Buffalo, New York, where I live. So it worked really well. Then I had one of the things that came with the course. One of the bonuses was a critique call with Dave. So I got on my critique call and I said, it's working great. I'm thrilled. Would this work in my real job as a financial advisor? And he said, yes. And I said, awesome. Where'd you learn it? And he said the two words that changed my life. He said, Dan Kennedy. So I said, awesome. How do I talk to Dan? He said, you don't. He said, you can buy some books, buy some courses, buy some products, come to some events. You know, unless you would join a mastermind, you're not going to talk. I'm like, fine. You just put a big red flag. I'm a bull. You just threw the, I got to get through it. Um, so I did buy books. I did buy products. I did get more courses with the money from my magic shows that I was making. And then I got to do a, uh, I got to be on a group conference call. It was promoting whatever his latest book was at the time. I got to, I, I had really fast fingers when they said, press like star one to ask a question. I was like number three. 
So I got to ask my question and he said, well, we should really talk offline about that. So I did a consultation with Dan and at the very end of it, he basically said, you know, write me, you know, a six figure check and I'll change your life. I mean, his pitch was way better than that. It took hours, but I mean, you get the idea. That was the end result was write me a big check. I'll change your life. So I went home to my wife. We had recent, I, in that year, a couple of years had gone by before that happened. I had gotten married. We bought our first house, had our first baby, and she quit her job to be a stay-at-home mom while I was cold calling for a living. So a little stressful year, happy stress, but stress. And then I had to go home and say, honey, I got to go borrow more than our mortgage on our house to go hire this guy, Dan. And she said, no. And 30 days later, I asked her every single day. And my ask got more intense. Her rebuttals got more profane until on day 31, she caved and said, you better pray this beep works, which it did. I was the 6,700th ranked advisor at that firm. I was in last place. And in two years of working with Dan, I was in the top 30 nationwide for opening new accounts. And that was competing against guys who had been building their practices twice as long as I had even been alive. So it got me written about in a bunch of trade journals. My phone started ringing off the hook with advisors going, how do I do that? And I said, Dan, what do I do? And he said, you start a marketing company and do it for him. So that was marketdominationllc.com, which I started 13 years ago. Started out as me and one advisor. I let hire me to see if it would work. And now we've served almost 3,000 clients in 62 different industries in every time zone on the planet. And we have an awesome team of 35 people who work here. Now, you asked a question about networking. So I'm actually going to answer that part now. So how I got today was I spent money and a lot of marketing gurus, a lot of course creators, they will throw in like bonus certificates for critique calls and analysis and stuff like that as a bonus to make the course look more valuable. Nobody ever cashes them in. Dave said, I was only one of like two people that entire year who actually did the critique call. And when I have been in a mastermind with, led by Alex Mendozian of marketingonline.com for four or five years now with some, I mean, like Ryan Dice is from Digital Markets in that mastermind. Like it's a huge, I mean, a lot. Of, it's like 30 people, 30 to 50. There's some serious players in that room. And Alex said, Ryan and I both bought the same course many, many years ago. It was like marketing with postcards. And he said, the only two people who ever did critique calls were me and Ryan Dice. I'm like, I'm a pretty good company because Ryan's running you know, a $100 million company. So I think that's one way to get in. I think if you're not buying their courses, if they're not selling a course, it's a lot easier now than it was when I started. When I started, there was no social media. There was no Facebook. There was Email was barely a thing. So I think it's easier now to get to people. I think posting on their walls, on their pages, writing positive reviews, commenting is a great way to show up in front of somebody over and over and over again so they know who you are and you're adding value to the community. Um, my number one strategy now for getting in front of like high level impossible to reach people is interviewing them for a podcast. So I started that when I had no audience whatsoever. And my original interviews were done on freeconferencecall.com and they sounded awful and we had no production quality whatsoever. You could literally hear the, hey, thanks to meet you. Nice to meet you, Mr. Jones. Thanks for doing this. I didn't know to edit those out. I didn't know to have an intro and music and any of that stuff. And now, obviously, I co-host a show with Kevin from Shark Tank, and we were number six last year, number six rated show last year to listen to. So we've grown a lot. But I think I get asked all the time, if you had to start over with 100 bucks on a laptop, what would you do? And I would pick a niche. I would build a list from Google or LinkedIn of the top like 25 influencers in that space. 
I would reach out to interview them via email to interview them all via for a podcast. And then I would find what the biggest problem in that space was. And I'd ask them how they were solving it or how they would solve it. I'd create a product out of that interview series, like a summit or a book or a course of what I learned. Use that to start to build a list and gain influence in the niche, borrow the credibility of those 25 people, and then take off from there. Awesome. And where would you think you'd be if you never did pay that? You said it was a six-figure check to Dan Kennedy. And I'm assuming you didn't have that. I did not have. I borrowed it. I did not have 1% of that money to pay Dan Kennedy. Okay. So where would you be if, if you didn't pay that right now? Okay, so part of me thinks I would still be cold calling for a living, interrupting strangers as just a financial advisor instead of a serial entrepreneur owning four companies. I think I probably would be a very, I'd I'd be, I would probably still be doing magic professionally. I would have applied the stuff that Dave D taught me to my financial services business. So hopefully it would still be successful, but I don't think I'd be anywhere close to where we are now. And that was a W-2 job, am I correct? Or were you a job, freelancer? Uh, independent, co- yeah, it was 100% commission. 100% commission. Did you leave immediately after you opened up Marketing L- uh, Domination LLC? Yeah, so I left October 23rd, 2007, because uh, October 23rd was my brother's birthday. I just happened to pick 07 as the year, the year we did it. I left and started my own financial planning firm, leaving the Fortune 500 company and the marketing firm the same day because the Fortune 500 company wouldn't let me do all of the marketing I wanted to do on the financial planning side. And because they had tentatively let me do the marketing firm, but that was when I was charging a couple hundred bucks a month and didn't have very many clients. And I could see the writing on the wall that as we were growing, they were going to have a problem with it because they had a sales prevention department. And I also saw the writing on the wall that there were rumors we were going to get bought out by a bank because it was the subprime bubble burst. And I didn't want to stick around because there's no way a bank would have let me get away with half the stuff I wanted to do. So I left and started both companies on the same day. Cold calling is big in, in real estate, uh, as far as the operators who are out there looking for the motivated sellers. So how many cold calls were you making before talking to Dan Kennedy then after? Okay, before talking to Dan, I made 300 a day which your guys who are calling FISBOs and stuff like that can totally relate to. I've done some marketing in the real estate education space for some of the household name gurus selling courses, coaches, mastermind programs. So I know a little bit to be dangerous. So yeah, I was making 300 dials myself. We didn't have virtual assistants back then making cold calls for us. It was all me. And since then, zero. Um, I After this marketing I learned from Dan started working, I only took inbound calls, which was the dream he sold me, was you'll stop cold calling and people will call you and want what you've got. And I said, oh my God, that would change my life. And then he said, okay, so write me a really big check. So I went from 300 a day to zero. So a Coke, then do you not recommend with your clients, you take clients from Marketing Domination LLC, right? Is that, is that the main? Okay. So any client, any industry that comes in, do you try to get them off of cold calling? Absolutely, because our, they're hiring us to generate the leads for them. They're hiring us to drive traffic or whatever service, which of the services we offer, they're hiring us to grow their business so that they can run it. So if they were cold calling, I would say, as soon as our results beat yours, you should stop. Don't quit until it's working better. I had one client who was had a course he was selling and it was all driven by radio ads. And I said, we're gonna replace your radio ads but don't stop the radio ads until we beat their results because the revenue will, won't be there. 
he did not listen 30 days in he says i can't pay my bill to you my credit card bounced i'm like why well i stopped spending any money on radio ads and i haven't made any money and i said we told you it's gonna take 90 days to build what you need it's a whole website it's a whole thing i told you not to stop anything so don't quit the cold calling until you got something better but obviously our goal is to be that something better so you, it's not so much the channel that you're not, you don't have like some secret channel. It's it, it, <laughs> that, you know, people, it, I mean, you're trying to replace this type of one channel mentality. So what are you replacing it with? Are you placing with, with different layers of marketing? And what is it exactly that you might be doing with a client? It completely depends. So yes, we're trying to replace one channel because diversity leads to stability. If I've only got one source of leads and they pass a do, everybody gets on the do not call list, I'm screwed. I went through that cold calling. The do not call list originally came out when I was smiling and dialing. And all of a sudden I couldn't call half the people on the list anymore. So I would say, yes, our goal is to get you into multi-channel. What channels are going to depend on the target market? So that informs every decision as to where we're going to market. So you might be, depending on the client, the base you're going after, direct mail might be the best for you. Or face, we're doing some real estate motivated sort of lead generation right now on Facebook or maybe it's LinkedIn or YouTube. It just depends on what your target market is. And so does, I mean, I guess money would be a big factor for real estate investors, wholesalers. The reason why people start wholesaling is because they have no money. <laughs> so the, I guess right, the, they're not the buying the house, fixing it up themselves and flipping it. They're flipping the deal to somebody right, else. Right, right, right. But so it, that's all contingent on marketing. So they're trying to find easy, cheap ways to market. Sure, they're doing call. rabbit signs and all, everything else. Right. Yeah. And text messaging, which is real cheap, or they're doing it illegally, I think from. <laughs> exactly. Technically you can't spam people. Right, right, right. So somebody who has no, absolutely no money, I mean, you can't really help them anyways, right? Well, what, what's some of the, some of the aspects you can add if you're given, given free advice to, to a real estate investor with no money, trying to reach out to motivated sellers? Okay, so first of all, nobody takes free advice. If they pay, they pay attention. Right. So given that disclaimer, okay, you have no money and you need to generate motivated sellers, all right, so if I'm telling you not to cold call or you want something better than cold call and you've got no money, I would say your cheapest, best bet is direct mail. Because if you made a list of FISBOs or sale by owner that you were cold calling anyway, you presumably have their addresses. So you could take a hundred of those people and literally spend 50 bucks on stamps and mail them you could probably fit four pages in an envelope, a number 10 envelope before the postage cost goes up. You could probably actually mail more than that. So let's pretend you're super cheap and you're sending a letter that's front and back one page. You spent 50 bucks. You got my paper envelope and ink. I'm presuming you have a printer, but you can spend 50 bucks and send it to hundred people. You get a couple, you get one deal. I mean, obviously your ROI is infinite. Yeah. I don't want to dive too much into the marketing thing, but, um, cause I mean, there's, there's a ton of advice right there. And I think the biggest thing that a real estate investor needs to realize is the list is the, the most important part of, of marketing. So, um, it doesn't really matter on the channel, but, um, did you struggle? I'm interested to know on your progression. If if you had a lot of time struggling, if it took you years to get to to where you're at right now, um, if it was just right off the gates, you immediately. I mean, you, we saw success in your firm, but what about afterwards and even before that? Okay, so I'm not sure if I completely understand the question, but I'll answer what I think oh. you asked. My first direct mail campaign was a complete flop. So the first one I did with Dan, the first thing I did bombed and he it was a 
long form, multi-page seminar invitation. Financial advisors are taught to sell via, instead of one-to-one, get 30 to 50 baby boomers with money in a room, feed them a free dinner and try and sell them something. So I wrote a Dan Kennedy inspired long form seminar invitation and it bombed. And he said, I could tell you why it bombed, but you'll learn the lesson if you physically call people who didn't respond get on the phone and ask them why, if they remember getting it and why they didn't respond. I said, you won't just tell me, no, I'm not gonna feed it to you. Okay, so here's, he's like, here's a marketing lesson, survey the non-responders. So I started cold calling the people who got the invitation and the headline I think I had written was on like nine biggest retirement mistakes, something like that. And every single answer I got as to why they didn't respond and who remembered it was exactly the same. And the response was like, son, nine biggest retirement mistakes. I probably made 11. What do I need to come to your workshop for? I said, Dan, that's what I got. And he said, change your headline. I'm going to add three words and it's going to work this time. I said, awesome. What are the three words? He said, change it to how to avoid the nine biggest retirement planning mistakes. I changed the headline. We didn't change anything else. We mailed it all over again. I had a full house. Wow. So my first attempt doing it myself, like with a little bit of guidance, like he's like, I want you to write your first one to see how well you can write and learn my copywriting techniques failed. Um, It was an easy fix. And has every single campaign been a hit along the way? No, absolutely not. But I, we fail faster. We fail cheaper. We fail smarter. I try and make new mistakes and not make the same one over and over and over again. So yeah, I mean, there's ups and downs. It's a roller coaster no matter what, but the bumps get smaller. You even it out more. You learn and improve along the way so that any mistakes you do make are smaller than when you don't know anything. Hey, real quick, I want to introduce you to my free daily newsletter where I give out free daily tips to real estate investing strategies, marketing, and sales techniques to keep you, the part-time investor, moving forward every day. So head on over to realestateaudios.com and you'll get a free report along with that free daily newsletter. Your success with your firm was a combination of a rolling out direct mail campaign and then tweaking it by surveying. And then that, that was plainly what you did. I mean, it was nothing, nothing too sexy, no ninja tactics. No, There weren't any back then. It was print ads in magazines and newspapers and direct mail. There was no web. I, we didn't even have a website. So today, being that we have technology has expanded, is that now a lot more in your inside of your firm right now? Are you doing a lot more technology-based marketing? Absolutely. Everything we, uh, we do a lot, uh, most of it's online. We do drive traffic online via direct mail, but I would say at least 80% of the traffic we generate comes from whether it's social, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Google, uh, display ads, native ads. It's, I'd say 80% of our traffic is online. All paid ads. And is there a lot, of, is, is there a lot of front end work as, uh, as far as the organic reach goes? We're not organic experts. So I cannot help you get found on the first page of Google, that that's not our sweet spot, that algorithm changes faster than Facebook's, and I don't pretend to be an expert in it. So, and plus you can't control it. Whereas I could literally buy ads from Facebook or Google today, punch in my credit card and have traffic tomorrow. And depending on how much I, traffic I buy, there's lots of traffic stores, I could find out in days, hours, or a very short period of time if I had a winning idea or not. If I were testing that, the old fashioned way in direct mail, it might take weeks to run a bunch of different, I mean, I can run 250 split tests in Facebook ads in a week or two. 
in direct mail, that would either require a massive budget or it would take months and months and months to execute. For the guy who's out, the real estate investor in my audience here, there is a the common critique for doing Google ads is that, hey, um, my ad, I have like three or four ads up there. They're all for home buyers. And how it operates is whoever gets that first click and whoever answers the phone immediately is going to get is going to get that deal or that yep. seller. And is that true or is that, can you defy that norm a little bit by adding another, some other layer to your business? I would hope you defied it because if you do what everybody else does, you'll get the same results everybody else gets. And if you're all fighting it out. So that's my issue with Google search ads is that it's a bloody red ocean, right? You're competing. If the search term you're bidding on is the same search term as everybody else, then you're also going to be competing against the real estate brokerage, right? Like Remax or Hunt or whoever, depending on your area, Coldwell Banker, Prudential, they may have bottomless budgets that they can afford to waste on stupid ads. Whereas we can't, we have to make things work. So I would rather not show up where everybody else is. I would rather show up in a competitive vacuum in a marketplace I can own, which is going to require a lot more thought and expertise to pull off than to just show up on a Google search term of buy a house with no money down or something. Right, right. So we mentioned defile norms. Uh, you know, Dan, that's a Dan, Dan Kennedy thing, defying yes. the norms. So what are some things that you defy norms in your own business? And, and maybe we can talk about how to, how to apply that into real estate. I have pretty much fired myself from actually serving clients. I have a great team that is doing that for us now. So normally in the marketing world, you're supposed to be deeply, intimately involved with every single step of the process. I built a business that works, I think, better than that. I have built systems that tell my employees and team members what to do every day for what client and make sure they do it right that I don't have to run. So it's allowed for better results. It's allowed for faster scale. It's allowed for less stress. So I think I've defied the norms of both of those areas. And I've created services that for our own business that didn't exist in the marketplace that then we're the only ones offering to the point where we now have competitors who copy what we do and then try and figure it out and then sell it to other people. And I'm flattered by the competition, but obviously we're the end of it. We do our best to stay ahead of the curve and be the ones who are inventing as opposed to copying. So you're defining the norms by the structure of your business. As a, so what's the, the normal structure of the business? It's just a one-man client, uh, one-man show in, in that industry? Well, it depends. So there's a million so-called people who hang up a shingle, who take a digital marketer course, hang up a shingle in their parents' basement and say, I'm a marketer. They go to BNI and they say, I can build you a website. I can build you a funnel. I can run Facebook ads. We come across them all the time and they don't know anything or they don't know what they don't know. Joe in his basement who has five clients and is 27 and is making a respectable living as a 27-year-old living at home and managing 10 grand a month in Facebook ads versus, you know, we've generated 30 million prospects. So, I mean, obviously we're going to know stuff he doesn't. So I think there are a lot of want to be internet marketers versus actual, there's fewer like real companies doing it. So I think that's one way we've defied the norms in the structure. I think there are a lot of firms that do one thing. So, hey, we only do Facebook ads or we only do YouTube. There are a lot of firms that outsource. Hey, we'll hire us and we'll hire a team in the Philippines to do the work. So I think the fact that we have multiple disciplines under one roof, they all speak English, they all work here. 
all of those are some of our differentiating factors. Okay, so you have a, you have a lot of different steps, and I'm in that same boat where I'm putting on all these hats. So you going along this way, did you learn all these hats first, and you've you you mastered them first until you finally can create a system to to, to outsource that or hire somebody in? Yes, until I learned better. I originally thought I had to know it all myself so I could teach it. And then that was a painful lesson until I realized I could hire someone who had a skill set I didn't have and then have them build out the system so that they and others could follow the same process. Hire them as in a, a W-2 employee into your business or just a freelancer? You hire them as a... We've done both. We've had them as W-2. We've had them as 1099, but you're going to create a process so that if you ever leave or if we max out your hours, somebody else can follow along and do the work. I think that's a, that's a, a big struggle. I mean, for my, I think that's a harder thing to accomplish when you're creating a business is how to do all these little things. I mean, and, and I have the mindset of trying to do everything, learn it, and then create SOPs and send that out to somebody else. We can have a separate conversation about that. We got, we got, there's an app for that. I mean, it's not really an app, but um, <laughs> there's a solution to that. <laughs> At least it worked in my business. And then we started licensing that program to others. So we could certainly have a conversation about that. Interesting. Interesting. Let's circle back to real estate investing. I didn't know that you're just doing digital marketing then. That's what your your firm does for others is, is, is we do, do digital- We do digital marketing. We do direct mail. We have a separate podcasting firm, podcast production company and a separate publishing company. So we've got an array of services under one roof. Okay, so then let's let's circle back to digital marketing. And digital marketing is getting big for real estate investors, although the niche is tiny. The niche is so small. What are some avenues you would have the motivated seller trying to get for, for sale by owners, trying to find probate leads? Because the niche is very small. It's a needle in a haystack you're trying to find. It's a $20,000 deal in, in a needle, needle in a haystack. So what channels would you recommend for somebody getting into this business of digital marketing to find sellers? Okay, so that's an awesome question. So we're currently doing a, prog- a pilot program for a small group of real estate investors right now. They're not wholesaling, they're doing lease options. So they want motivated sellers as well. So right now we're doing a beta test. Um, uh, Facebook ads is what we're running for them. Driving to a lead magnet, getting them into a funnel, getting them on the phone, getting them to fill out an application, qualify to a phone call, to a scheduled appointment. So we're doing that. It, I would test, uh, we talked about direct mail. Depending on where you're getting the information, cold email might work. But technically, I didn't say that because you can't just randomly email people. And then. I would look for leverage. I bet you there might be other professionals who see those people. Mm -hmm. So if you could build a network, like we have a strategic podcast program that builds you a whole bunch of affiliates out there promoting what you do in a local market. So maybe that's the attorneys, maybe it's the real estate agents, maybe it's the mortgage brokers, home inspectors, whoever that real estate mafia is that would see motivated sellers. So maybe it's the realtor who has a listing that she can't sell that is now like going, oh, they're gonna fire me in a month because I haven't gotten any traction on their house. I should send it to Paul because he can get it taken care of. That might work. I haven't had anybody try that yet, but it might work. So then, I mean, I personally sold, we moved into the house we have now seven years ago, but I sold our house before that with a Facebook ad. Really? Yeah, okay. I ran Facebook ads 
in our to our list to register for our open house. My realtor had no clue what I was doing <laughs> and said, oh, my God, this place, there's a line out the door. Like, I just put it on MLS. I don't understand. And I said, well, we marketed the house and we had a bidding war, which in Western New York back then was not normal. And we sold for over asking, which wasn't normal back then because our real estate market was cold seven years ago. So there's lots of ways to play it. You know, go back to the networking thing, because I think that's leveraging the local area, highly powerful. How, how do you, I, I think that when I started, that was a big obstacle. It's like, how do I, the, I'm getting in front of this attorney. He's yep. professional. He can sniff out, you know, anybody who doesn't have any experience or, or any fakes out there. So a newbie coming in, you know, he can be a value, but he needs to have, I guess, the mindset of it. He's, I mean, so somebody coming in, how do you, build the confidence? How do you, what can you do with no experience, but approach attorneys and professionals to pass on deals to you? I would start a podcast. I would interview them for a show. So it's not about you. You're not trying to sell them anything. It's all about them. So half an hour to an hour, most likely half an hour talking, letting them talk about themselves. And then they will love you for it. Cause when was the last time someone like ate it up when they talked about the law for half an hour and how they got started? So I would start there. It would cost you next to nothing unless, of course, we did all the work for you and then we charge you well for it because it's a lot of manual labor. But if you had time but no money, it would work. You could do it yourself. So I would start with a podcast. I would interview them about and do a, I don't know, Western New York real estate podcast or whatever you call it. And then by interviewing those people, they will love you for the mini exposure, even if you have zero. We got our first client from my podcast. Wait, I mean, when I started it, I had 15 episodes and on freeconferencecall.com, Zoom didn't exist all those years ago. And we did it. I mean, I had like seven listeners and we, one of them was a, we became a client. The other six, I think, were related to me. So I would probably, if you wanted to build a sphere of influence of local professionals who might see the deals you want, I would start, I would start with a show. That's an amazing, I, I have not heard that yet. That's an amazing tip. I mean, a podcast has been, I'm new to doing podcasting. Uh, I've done it since this whole year, but it has been a key to a license to approach people I would never be able to, yep. to come up and approach with. So uh, it's amazing. So um, do you think that following up with this, this fear of influence, like you, you've named like your top 25, like we talked about in the beginning of the show, following up with these attorneys, these professionals, these other real estate agents, would that be key to all this as well? Yeah, because the way our process works is after the show air, they, they got their social media posts for them to post about the show. We turn it into a blog post. So there's a blog post written about them. We turn it into a physical bookstore book. So then there's a book that they're in that they're promoting and handing out to their clients to tell them about uh, to tell them about it. And then we host like a monthly right now because of COVID, it's virtual, but a monthly networking group just for the people on the show, the show guests. And then, of course, you're the only real estate investor on that call every month. So all the business is going to come to you. Speaking of book, what, there's only a, a less than a handful of people I've met that are actually writing a book that is for the, the motivated seller. Have you seen that in this industry? Do you think this would, this, this would be defying the norms? Would you think this would be a good approach to, getting, to becoming the expert leader in your market area? Yeah, it'd be totally different because if you think about it, all those Google ads that you talked about where whoever's the first person to call them back or whatever wins, what if instead of running the I'll buy your house you know, ad, it's get a free copy of this book on how to get your house for top, sell your house for top dollar without a realtor. 
Yeah, something like yeah. that. That's a sexy lead magnet. Or 20 ways investors are scamming you, right? <laughs> yeah, you could do that too. Absolutely. Either of those would work. That's the Joe Polish method, right? Kind of, kind of be the spokesman against all the frauds out there. Yes, absolutely. That is definitely, Joe's in that mastermind group with me. I've known him for a lot of years. I was in Genius Network before it was 25K, before it, back when it was still Piranha. So yes, the old consumer awareness advocate yeah, right, absolutely right. works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think that's, I mean, I've, there's probably a lot of stuff we can pick your brain about marketing. I mean, the whole point is defying the norms. And I, you know what? I talk to a lot of people about that and they're afraid to defy the norms because why nobody else is doing it. That's the uh, point. That's why it would work. Exactly. They want to, they want to result to uh, text blasting, to scrubbing a list and, and getting their just random cold blasts generating a small percentage, but Hey, it's cheap. It's yeah. Know, I had a real estate investor. I did a consultation with him the other day and he's going, uh, he's doing, he at least had a niche and that he was going after veterans because oh, okay. he was one. Okay. So he was like, let a veteran buy your home. And he was sending postcards and he's like, I do these, but they don't work, but I keep doing them. And he's like, I sent out a thousand and I haven't gotten a deal. And I sent it out a couple times. And I said, well, can you only do deals in your local market? Well, no, of course not. I said, okay, so let's build a Facebook fan page for veterans, wow. build up a fan base, get 10,000 veterans following you, and then run an ad to the veterans, which would be probably cheaper than a postcard and get you better and, and might get and pitch the low hanging, instead of just going after the low hanging fruit, show up every day, like as an authority in that space. Right. And the ones that are ready will come to you. And he couldn't get his head around it. So <laughs> I even think, offered, I said, I'll do the marketing and I'll split the deal. If you do the deal, I'll do the marketing, just cover the cost. Don't eat. I mean, I will do it like almost for free. If you give me a cut of every deal. So, I mean, I, you cannot, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. <laughs> you know, do you think that um, the, the, the quote lead magnet in this business is always call for a free offer? or for cash offer, call for an instant cash offer. You know, people kind of play around with, get a cash offer yeah. in five minutes, whatever. They, is there anything you can think of that could be a different and um, motivational lead magnet they can use? Yeah, absolutely. Because if everyone's doing it, how effective right. is it, right? They're all right. offering the same thing. How do you stand out? It's red ocean, not blue. So I would say a free report, free consumer awareness guide, free video, free checklist, free cheat sheet, any of those would probably work. You just got to think outside the box a little bit. Especially if you're, especially the call now, the issue is they know they're going to get sold something. They're right. afraid that some high pressure dude is going to try and sell them, give me your house right now or whatever it is. I would say the people who are actually going to call are probably really, really motivated or desperate. And I'd say the majority of those people probably won't call and you need something gentler to warm them up. You got to date them before you take them home, right? Right, right, right. Now that's another thing. So another, instead of the call now, you, you can get their email. That is a common critique I hear is, oh, email marketing doesn't work in this business. So are you, you guys are doing a lot of email, uh, email marketing, right? As, as yeah. am I. If they're doing it, if they're not getting attention, they're obviously doing something wrong. Uh, my guess is they're, they're not giving value-based uh, emails. So, I mean, your experience with email marketing, what are some do's and don'ts and what can we, how can we apply it to here? 
Sure. So it depends on your definition of email marketing. If we're talking about email follow-up, like we drove the lead to request something and then we're dripping on them. Right. Yeah. Obviously, we've got to provide them with valuable content that establishes us, us as an authority who's trustworthy. Right. If you're talking about outbound email marketing to try and drive them there in the first place, then you're talking about you got a list from somewhere and you're marketing to them. And then the most important thing you've got to deal with is one, you're from email address. Do you land in promotions? Do you land in spam or do you make it to the inbox in the first place? And then your subject line, which is going to determine whether or not your email gets opened. So I would say most important would be like the domain you're sending from. And then don't do paul at gmail.com. It should be paul at whatever dot we right. buy houses or whatever. And mm -hmm. then the subject line for those emails is going to, I would run a lot of split tests to come up with a subject line that gets people to open it. Cause again, they're strangers at this point right. in that example. Yeah. Right now is the email provider as important as the kind of content you're sending out as, as doing everything that you, you mentioned, you mentioned there, does a email, a good email provider really matter or any, are all of them kind of the same type of, uh, no, it absolutely matter. It's, it, it absolutely matters because you're, if you're sending from yahoo.com, I meant like uh, Aweber versus ah, MailChimp, those right? matter. Okay. So each one of those has their strengths and weaknesses and they all, I mean, you can check whatever the deliverability rates are. We've used them all, but I, I, we certainly don't have like a chart or we haven't memorized it. So I don't know. Are some better than others? Yes. Is there going to be a ginormous difference? I have no idea. We haven't actually tested it. I haven't had yeah. a client go buy an Aweber account, a MailChimp, a Constant Contact and an Infusion. Let's run the same email from all four places. And that would be a pure split test. You would really find out, but we've never done it. Right. So I would say you'd focus more on the subject line, getting it open than buying four accounts at four different places to see which one works the best. Right. So what matters is all those, t uh, what matters most is obviously the subject line. I mean, writing a good grabber yes. and the content inside of it. I mean, that they got to keep reading it. They got to keep coming yeah, back you gotta to it. You got to get it open and then you got to get it actually read. So right, you yeah. can't send a subject line to sex and then they open it and now it's by life insurance, right? It doesn't yeah, exactly right. work. Right, right, right. All right, Seth, I appreciate you being on the show, man. I really do. Uh, thanks for bringing your tips, everything that you use in your uh, digital marketing uh, LLC. So how can people reach you if they want to uh, use your service? Yeah, absolutely. Go to marketdominationllc.com. There's a couple minute sizzle reel there that tells them more about us. And then fill out the form next to it and we'll give any of your listeners a 15 minute consultation where nothing will be sold. You'll tell us what your biggest problem, biggest challenge, biggest opportunity is, and we'll solve it in 15 minutes. Awesome. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. All right. That's a wrap. And I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please go ahead and subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever you use. It really helps me keep producing these. Just search for the Deals Today podcast in your podcast directory, podcast app. So if you're not on my daily email newsletter, and you want to be and you want to receive the free 40 days to find a deal seminar, go ahead and go to realestateaudios.com slash flipping. Again, that's realestateaudios.com slash flipping. <laughs>